I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we'll be reading the book of Obadiah, which consists of 21 verses, and then we'll be looking at Psalms 82 and 83. Now, the um, written notes of BibleTrack.org go right into the reading of Obadiah, but I want to read you the first paragraph of the notes on Obadiah to give you a reference point here. Edom is the... um, country that's being prophesied against here in the book of Obadiah. It was the land southeast of Israel. Obadiah prophesied their fall. That's what the whole book is about, all 21 verses. We don't know when Obadiah was written, but we do know what period of time he was prophesying about. It was the period immediately after the fall of Jerusalem. Now let's begin reading Obadiah verse 1. The vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, that thou dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. If thieves came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape-gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the mount of Esau? And thy mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed, to the end that every one of the mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. In the day thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates, and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast as one of them." But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. 
thy reward shall return upon thine own head. For as ye have drunk upon mine holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as those that had not been. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord hath spoken it. And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau, and they of the plain the Philistines, and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim, and the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites, even unto Zarephath, and the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in Sepharad, shall possess the cities of the south. And Savior shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. As I mentioned, this is the land, Edom, southeast of Israel. You'll recall that the Edomites were descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother. From the sound of this passage, it would appear that the Edomites turned against Israel in the time leading up to Jerusalem's fall in 586 B.C. This prophecy says that this action will be punished by their own demise. They will fall to the Babylonians as well, just as Jerusalem did. Edom disappeared in the 6th century B.C., never to reappear as a nation ever again. We do find references to the region in the New Testament in Mark chapter 3, verse 8, where it says there, "...and from Jerusalem, and from Idumea, and from beyond Jordan, and they about Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they had heard what great things he did, came unto him." Now, it should be pointed out, however, that they were not an autonomous nation then, and they disappeared from any reference in history after the first century A.D. That being said, there are two likely possibilities for the time of the writing of Obadiah. The first is during the reign of Jehoram, 853 to 841 B.C. Now, that, by the way, is the period in which we are finding ourselves in Second Chronicles and Second Kings right now. And that's why we're reading Obadiah right here. But the second possibility for the writing is after the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. As far as the fulfillment of this prophecy against Edom, we only know that they disappeared after the Assyrians and later the Babylonians conquered the region. Now, I've provided a chart in the written notes of BibleTrack.org which uh, trace the history of, um, of the Edomites, of the country of Edom. And uh, I should point out here, by the way, you may want to take a look at that chart, but I should point out here that, uh, that we just finished reading in Second Chronicles chapter 20 when the uh, Edomites and their allies attempted an unsuccessful raid of Judah during King Jehoshaphat's reign. And uh, then, subsequently, they rebelled against King Jehoram in Second uh, Kings chapter eight, verses twenty to twenty-two, also paralleled by Second Chronicles chapter twenty-one, verses eight through ten. So that's why we're reading it right here. Now, if you're looking at the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today, you'll see that I've have uh, I've provided links to other prophets who prophesied against Edom also. And there you'll see I have a, a link to the following passages, Isaiah 11, Jeremiah 49, 
Daniel 11, Amos chapter 2, Ezekiel 25, Ezekiel 35, and Malachi chapter 1. We see in verses 5 and 6 of today's passage in Obadiah the utter destruction that will befall Edom. Even their allies will turn against them, we see in verse 7. And why this judgment? Well, verse 10 has the answer. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. It will be for their ill treatment of their brethren, Jacob's descendants, Israel, and that's the reason they'll fall. The outline of their offense against Israel is to be found in verses 11 through 14. I've listed those here. First, in verse 11, it says, Edom stood by and watched while Jerusalem was invaded. And then secondly, Edom rejoiced over the captivity of Judah in verse 12. In verse 13, they assisted in the destruction of the city. And in verse 14, Edom even helped set up roadblocks to hamper the escape of the Jewish people in verse 14. Obadiah's reference to the day of the Lord in verse 15, based upon the accompanying prophetic events, certainly directly refers to what believers today understand to be the second coming of Jesus Christ, as seen in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. It should be noted, however, that Edom's overthrow is now historical to us, not future. Notice verse 18, it says, And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble, and they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord hath spoken it. That prophecy, by the way, has been fulfilled already. Now here's a technical aside regarding this passage. Many scholars think that the phrase in verse 3, when it says, Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, is really a direct reference to the capital city of Edom, which is Selah. S-E-L-A. The general Hebrew word for rock is, in fact, Selah. Since no differentiation between words and names exists in Hebrew manuscripts, many think that this verse should be read, that thou dwellest in the clefts of Selah. Since Petra means rock in Greek, the capital city of Selah was called Petra by the Greeks, we're told. To add strength to, to their argument, many cite the Septuagint rendering of the phrase. However, the Septuagint renders the Greek phrase in the genitive plural case appropriately translated in the clefts of the rocks, genitive plural, of the rocks. Since the Hebrew phrase shows a singular sila, but the Greek Septuagint phrase shows a plural petra, then a proponent of that theory can only conclude that the Septuagint translation of that verse slightly misses the mark the difference between the singular name of a city as opposed to the plural reference to rocks. Well, who cares, one might ask. Well, it's only significant in light of a prophetic teaching that those who flee the wrath of the second half of the tribulation will take flight to Petra, the capital city of Edom. If you'd like a full discussion of this theory of prophecy, then uh, take a look at the notes on Micah chapter 2, verse 12, where I go into it into more depth there. Regardless of the merit of that prophetic theory, no validity is lent to it based upon Obadiah verse 3 here. Now let's have an overview of Psalms 82 and 83 because you probably thought we were finished reading the Psalms. So chronologically, why read these two Psalms here? Well, we don't know the time in which these two Psalms are written, but there's some interesting wording in Psalm 83 verses 6 through 8. 
In these verses, we find a confederation of nations who assist the Ammonites and Moabites against Israel. You recall that Jehoshaphat's experience was with such a warfare from these neighbors. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with them other beside the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Now, here's the interesting aspect of the confederation of nations listed in these verses 6 through 8. Asher is listed as one of those nations in verse 8. Asher, by the way, is Assyria, who emerged after the kingdom of Israel split. Incidentally, that today is modern-day Iraq. So when a nation that did not emerge as a threat until after the division of Israel is mentioned in a psalm, Coupled with the account of a battle in Second Chronicles chapter 20 that seems to fit the description, some have concluded that this psalm was written around the same time of Jehoshaphat's reign in 873 to 848. But, whoops, there's a problem, though. The introductions of Psalm 82 and 83 clearly say a psalm of Asaph. Asaph was, without question, David's music guy. So was Asaph writing a little prophecy into his songs here, or... Was there another guy named Asaph during Jehoshaphat's day? Well, that's one we'll need to discuss when we get to heaven, if you're still interested then. There's another fascinating aspect of these two psalms. Jesus refers to Psalm 82.6 in one of his verbal battles with the Pharisees in the book of John. Verse 6 of Psalm 82 says, I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. Now, notice the way Jesus used this verse over in John chapter 10, verses 33 through 35. John 10, 33, the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods? Verse 35, if he called them gods unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken. Now, listen to this note from the Expositor's Bible Commentary with regard to Jesus' usage of Psalm 82.6. Here it is, quote, Had Jesus not meant to convey a claim to deity, he undoubtedly would have protested the action of the Jews by declaring that they had misunderstood him. On the contrary, Jesus introduced an a fortiori argument from the Psalms to strengthen his statement. Psalm 82.6 represents God as addressing a group of beings whom he calls gods, the Hebrew there being Elohim, and sons of the Most High. If then these terms can be applied to ordinary mortals or even angels, how could Jesus be accused of blasphemy when he applied them to himself whom the Father set apart and sent into the world on a special mission. Jesus was not offering a false claim. He was merely asserting what he was by rights. Now, that's the end of the quote. Let me just comment on that Say to say it's amusing that Jesus used a passage from the Old Testament that the Pharisees obviously didn't understand to thoroughly confuse them. Let's face it, those Pharisees were just no match in their arguments with Jesus. So now let's read Psalm 82. A Psalm of Asaph is the subtitle to this one. Verse 1. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. 
Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. This psalm declares that all the powers on the earth are subject to the one true God. Jesus quoted verse 6, as I mentioned earlier, in John chapter 10, verses 33 to 35. Since Jesus declares that these gods in this passage are mere men, the notion adopted by some commentators that the gods of nations surrounding Israel are in view here, well, that couldn't be correct. This psalm, therefore, is a condemnation of unjust judges. That brings us to Psalm 83. Again, the subtitle to this one says, A Song or Psalm of Asaph, verse 1. Keep not thou silence, O God, hold not thy peace, and be not still, O God. For lo, thine enemies make a tumult, and they that hate thee have lifted up the head. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people, and consulted against thy hidden ones. They have said, Come, and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance." For they have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against thee. The tabernacles of Edom and the Ishmaelites of Moab and the Hagarenes, Gebel and Ammon and Amalek, the Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre. Asher also is joined with them. They have opened the children of Lot, Selah. Do unto them as unto the Midianites, as to Sisera, as to Jabin at the brook of Kisan which perished at Endor, they became as dung for the earth. Make their nobles like Oreb and like Zeb, yea, all their princes as Zeba and as Zalmunna, who said, Let us take to ourselves the houses of God in possession. O my God, make them like a wheel, as the stubble before the wind, as the fire burneth a wood, and as the flame setteth the mountains on fire." So persecute them with thy tempest, and make them afraid with thy storm. Fill their faces with shame, that they may seek thy name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and troubled forever. Yea, let them be put to shame and perish, that men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, art the Most High over all the earth. And we see in this psalm the formation of a confederacy, that, uh, by the way, seeks the total annihilation of Israel. When we see in verses 6 and 7 that this confederation of nations is made up of Edom, the descendants of Ishmael, along with the Moabites, the Hagarenes, Gebel, Ammon, Amalek, the Philistines, and finally the inhabitants of Tyre. Wow, that's a big list of enemies there. In verses 9 through 18, the psalmist prays for God's vengeance upon this confederacy of nations who seek Israel's demise. Incidentally, the name Jehovah is transliterated from the Hebrew text in verse 18, sometimes rendered Yahweh instead. Usually this Hebrew name for God, also known by Jews as the Tetragamation, is simply translated in our Bible as Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, all capital letters. But for some reason, the editors of the King James Version uh, spelled it out Jehovah here in verse 18. This concludes our podcast for today. 
I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton.